Hello, and welcome to the recap by Dive Collective. Over the next few minutes, we're going to hit the highlights of the past week's reading from our reading plan. Annika and I, and sometimes Kelly, are excited to invite you along as we read through the Bible together. You can find our reading plan at divecollective.org in our shop under free downloads. We know some of you love the accountability of a checklist, while others thrive by the freedom to join in whenever your schedule allows. The recap is intended to meet all of those needs. So whichever one of those categories you fit into, just know we're excited to have you here today. All right, so we're going to jump in and do our first recap. We're covering, starting from Exodus 1, we're jumping in at a really good place. Beginning, yep. Yeah, so February 19th is where we're starting, which will be Exodus 1, Luke 4, and Job 18. So the way that we're going to break this down is we're going to discuss that first column first. So we'll talk about Exodus first, then we'll do Job. So that's another Old Testament. Instead of going to the New Testament, we'll do this. So it'll be first column, third column, second column, yeah. at least for a while. All right. So Exodus, Annika, what, did you have anything from Exodus that stood out to you? I did. Did you want to do a overview of the story? Yeah. So the, Thank you. the overview, the Israelites have been in Egypt for a while because Joseph had brought his brothers down there when there was a famine in Israel. They came and they started to reproduce in mass numbers. And it says at the beginning of Exodus that the new king didn't know who Joseph was. So the leadership hadn't passed down from one to another, the significance of the Israelites, who they were mm -hmm. and how loved they were by the previous king. And so now there's mm -hmm. just this group of people and he's afraid they're going to rise up. So he oppresses them. And this is where Moses kind of rises up as a leader during this portion and God calls him out and Moses is like, please no. <laughs> yeah. Well, even before that, one of the things that I love in the beginning of Exodus is at the end of chapter two, literally the last verse, the last phrase in chapter two, it says, and God saw the Israelites and God knew. That's something I actually have been noticing it just the past couple of years, I guess, as I've spent time in God's word. Anytime that it says anything about God knowing or understanding or seeing, it always sticks out to me. And that one just stuck out to me. And I think it tied into something you noticed too about how God described himself to Moses in chapter three. Yes. I was actually, I was going to wait till you were done, but that's, it ties directly to that. I noticed in this portion where Moses basically says, when I go back to the Israelites, who am I supposed to tell them sent me? Who, mm -hmm. who are you? Like, how do I tell them who you are? And God first says, I am. And that's significant because he's going back to the Egyptians where there's the God of the mountains and there's the God of the sun and then there's God of the earth and the God of the rain. And they have all of these different gods for all of these different things. And God's saying, I am, I am, I am, I am, I, just I'm am. Yeah. I am, I'm the God of all of that. Mm -hmm. But when he said, when he specifies who he wants to be known as, he says, Tell them I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And that just stood out to me. I, it was one of those moments where it's like, man, I'm sure I've heard this before. But it was the first time where it was like, when God gets to choose his identity, he chooses to be the God of relationship mm -hmm. with his people. He chooses to be the God of people, the God of covenantal promises that he alone fulfills. I just love that. Going yes. back to what you were saying. It ties directly in, I think, just that concept of God being the God of relationship and the fact that in the way that he 
describes himself to his people through Moses and just the fact that he saw them and he knew what they were going through. All of that just points to his desire to be in relationship with his people. And that he understands. And that, that he understands, right. And I think that's why, like I said, that those phrases always stick out to me when I'm reading scripture. I think that's why, because it points back to the relationship. So if we move on to Job, well, at the beginning, we see almost like this scene in heaven where, where God is speaking with the, Satan, basically, and Satan. Right. There's no way to talk about Job. this without context. Right, you without the context. Yeah. yeah. So if you're just jumping in and you're jumping into the middle of Job, that's where it's coming from. And Satan basically presents Job to God as this person who will never curse God because his life is perfect. And so God kind of gives Satan the go ahead to make Job's life miserable, almost to prove that Job is his Mm -hmm. in a sense. And so in the middle, once we come into 18, where we've gone through multiple chapters of Job's life just kind of falling apart and then his friends showing up and basically telling him that the reason his life has fallen apart is because he's obviously done some terrible things and so God is punishing him. And in all of this, Job is, I mean, he's confident in the fact that that's not the reason that he hasn't done anything wrong and he's listening to his friends kind of just tear him apart. But in chapter, let me find it, Job 21, Job is responding to one of his friends after his friend has basically just told him all the things that he must be doing wrong. So to kind of preface this, one of the things that I love about Job is something that I think is also a really hard concept to grasp. And not that I've grasped it, it's just that it doesn't bother, it can it can be bothersome to some people. And I think that is that God is God and God gets to do things because he's God and we have to trust and see, right. And he can see this whole thing working together. All we can see is this little mm-hmm. tiny pinpoint of what our lives are. And so when God does things and allows things, he can see the whole big picture. For me, that's one of my favorite things about the book of Job is just the fact that God is God and we, our job is to trust him. But in Job 21, Job is responding to his friend so far. And he says in verse 22, can anyone teach God knowledge? And then continues, but that phrase stuck out to me because it reminded me of Exodus. We talked a little bit in Exodus how Moses, when you were giving the overview, Aaron, Moses was like, no, 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 no. I don't want to be the one to go. And one of the things Moses does when he's talking to God in the burning bush is I can't be the one that you want to go. I can't speak. I'm not a good speaker. I have whatever it is he's explaining. He says this multiple times to God. Why are you sending me? I don't, I don't have the words. And in Exodus 4, verse 11, God says, Who placed a mouth on humans, and who makes a person mute or deaf, seeing or blind? Isn't it I, the Lord? Now go. I will help you speak, and I will teach you what to say. And it just makes me think of that concept in Job. God is basically saying to Moses, you're telling you can't speak, but who gave you your mouth in the first place? I'm the one that's giving you this job to do. And not only that, but I'm going to go with you and I'm going to help you speak and teach you what to say. That big concept of the thought that God is God and because he's God and because he's our creator and he sees the big picture, he can do as he wishes. And yet, even when he calls us to do things that might be difficult for us, he's going to go with us and he's going to be the one that helps us speak. And we're still not doing it on our own strength. I like how, even though we're in two different, completely different parts of scripture, I like how seeing how one can remind me of the other and how the concepts kind of tie together. 
or my favorite part is where God shows us how it all ties together, where mm-hmm. there's like this part connects with this part, connects with this part. And obviously all through the gospels, it's just one story all interwoven, which is what I love about these reading plans because it points it out as you're reading. Yeah, you get books, to see the story. How related it is. Yeah. Yeah. Shall we to Luke with us? Yes, we shall to Luke. So from Luke, I got a lot. I'm going to jump straight to Luke chapter seven. There's this whole portion where Jesus is telling us to give away our life. And I have been in a season where I've really been wrestling with what that looks like. I have people in my life that I know are talking bad about me behind my back and with one another. I have people in my life who I know I can serve day after day and I won't get anything back in return these relationships are kind of being put in my life. And I'm like, okay, Lord, how do I balance this idea of good boundaries that's supposed to be psychologically healthy? And this thing that you're calling us to in Luke seven, which is like, it goes so much further than boundaries. There essentially are no boundaries. He's literally asking us to pour out our life. I'm just going to read it. Some of it in the message version, because I just love the way that it, that it talks about things at first when he says, love your enemies, he says, love your enemies, let them bring out the best in you not the worst let your enemies bring out the best in you and not the worst. Just hearing that wording to me was like, wow, that's, yeah, that's quite a challenge. And then he says, if if someone takes unfair advantage of you, use the occasion to practice the servant life. No more payback, live generously. He says, help and give without expecting return. You'll never, I promise, regret it. Live out this God-created identity the way our Father lives toward us, generously and graciously, even when we're at our worst. Our Father is kind. You be kind. I just love that so much that because it affirms what I've already known, it affirms this thing that I've already been feeling, which is that I'm supposed to go beyond the boundaries that everybody tells me I'm supposed to go to. And and if you talk to any of your friends, they're going to tell you you know what? That's not your responsibility. You need to, you need to draw boundaries, but that's not what Jesus calls us to. He's literally saying, give and give and give and give practice the servant Mm -hmm. life. But (laughs) this is what's great. That whole section starts out with this to you who are ready for the truth. I say this, love your enemies, let them bring out the best in you. And then he goes on and on and on. And the truth is, is that not everybody is ready for that truth. And I obviously haven't been because only now he's been preparing my heart and cultivating it to bring now this truth. Now it's time. Now it's time. Now it's time to figure out how to live a poured out life because in that he promises an abundant life. This was the section that really blew me away. Mm -hmm. How about you for Luke? From the same section as you, I underlined the end of verse 35. It says, your father is kind. Now you go be kind, I think is Mm -hmm. how it said. I'm using CSB and it says, for he's gracious to the ungrateful and the evil. Mm. And I, you know, Erin, I am not a very gracious person, (laughs) even to people that are easy to be gracious to. (laughs) But that, that thought of being gracious to the ungrateful and the evil is... That's hard. But then it also makes me think about be gracious to the ungrateful and the evil. I have the spirit and I don't have to do it on my own. It's an outflow of God living in me. Yes. I am this past week. There was a line from the sermon that talks about our passive role in the justification and right and righteousness. He highlighted this passage in, with Abraham where a- Abraham believed God's promises and it was credited to him as righteousness. We don't bring anything to the covenantal mm-hmm. table. We yeah. literally just receive by believing that God is who he says mm-hmm. he is. He's going to do what he says he's going to do. Mm-hmm. So, And then we were talking about 
just Christology, the study of Christ, which is like trying to understand God as man and God as, and uh-huh. Jesus as man. It and makes Jesus your head hurt. God. Yeah, it was mind blowing. But we were, as we were talking, we started talking about Jesus and this life that he lived, this perfect life that he lived as a man. I was realizing that the temptation is to look at Jesus's life as though he came to show us the standard, to show us what we can do. But he did not. He came no. to live the standard because so we never because could. Because we can't, exactly. But our entire role in salvation, like he, he didn't come to show us how to do it. He came, he came to, to do, do it, it for us. us. Yes. So our role in that is passive. And then like, yes, we are to be made more like Christ. Our goal in life is to become more like Christ. But even in that by the spirit, only God can do that. Right. Right. It's a passive role again. And we have to trust that he is going to do what he says Mm -hmm. he's going to do, which is to make Mm -hmm. us more finish the work that he began in Mm -hmm. us. That's kind of what you're saying is that like, I am incapable right being gracious to the ungrateful right and i fully recognize that but christ in me can do that if i'm willing yes yeah yeah good stuff if you enjoyed this discussion and maybe you're wondering how to get more highlights out of your own scripture reading you might be interested in joining our in-depth dive studies where we model our process of inductive bible study you can find out more at divecollective.org under the studies tab And we will see you next week.